Softly Spoken is an introvert's guide to thinking out loud about identity, meaning, and the moments that make us who we are. In our different ways, we all reach points in our life where we have to let go of who we were in order to embrace who we are and who we're becoming. A mix of stories and interviews, Softly Spoken is a podcast that takes a deep dive into the hidden moments that shape us. It's an invitation for you to consider the version of you you are creating right now. What are you learning about yourself in the process? My name is Stefan, and I'm your host and introvert-in-chief. Today's episode is a little different. I'm going to be sharing with you my own story, or at least a version of it, I ask myself some of the same questions that I've been asking the guests that I've invited onto the show to break up the monotony of you just hearing my voice. I've used a voice generator to read the questions. If it sounds like a robot, that's because it is. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. How would you describe yourself using three words? Well, I guess if I had to pick three words, the ones that come to mind are sensitive, stubborn maybe, and curious. How would your best friend describe you? Interesting. I guess it depends on the best friend you'd ask, but words that people have used to describe me are smart funny, I have a sense of humor. I think some people would probably call me earnest, maybe. As a child, did you have a sense of what you wanted to achieve or have when you grow up? As a kid, I think I, at least in my early childhood, I dreamed of being something of an artist, a writer, probably. I had a hard time, though, you know, sitting still or concentrating on anything for long periods of time, and I didn't actually do a lot of writing. I did write in my journal quite a lot, I'd say. I didn't really write anything much else. I guess you could describe me as a pretty hyper kid, bouncing off the walls. I also had a lot of anxiety. I was just really trying to get through every day. I didn't really think too much into the future. I think that kind of shifted or got worse in my teen years. I went to, I would say, a pretty dark place, mentally speaking. I had a really tough relationship with my parents. I, you know, was pretty depressed. And I continued to have a lot of social anxiety. So by age 12, I mean, I was, you know, writing in my journal that I was thinking of dying. And I just had kind of like in the back of my head the thought that I would probably be dead by the age of 30. Based on that, I really didn't have a sense that I had much that I was going to achieve in my life. Because I didn't think I'd be around for much longer. Do you have a sense of what was making you suicidal? Honestly, I'm not sure. I had a lot of moments where I just felt like 
I didn't want to keep going. I felt miserable. The worst period of my life was probably in my early 20s. But there was also a sense that there has to be more to life than what I was experiencing. And so that inquisitive, curious part of me, I think in some ways kept me alive because I was like, I need to find the solution. I need to find the answer to what's going on. It didn't really make sense to me why I was as miserable as I was. I mean, I wasn't, you know, growing up on the streets. I had a family that was middle class. I went to a decent school. I had a roof over my head. I had food in the fridge. I felt guilty for being as miserable as I was. And, you know, there were things that I thought might be contributing to my misery. For example, my family moved around quite a lot, and it was really hard to put down roots or form long-term friendships because we just didn't stay in one place for long enough. I also thought my mother was a bit crazy, and she really didn't seem to like me very much. I think my creative side kept me going, and because I had a really active imagination, I learned to escape into books and to fantasy imaginary worlds, and that helped. At least at times it helped, but there was a lot of darkness in my early life. What got in the way of you enjoying life? There was a lot going on. Like I mentioned, my parents were pretty restless. They were moving around a lot. Puberty was really hard on me. It was confusing. I really disliked my body and the changes that were happening. I was a girl, I should say. I probably should mention that. So I transitioned to male in my early 20s, but I was raised as a girl. And looking back at that time now, I think that I, I didn't see anything to look forward to in becoming an adult woman. I should also mention that I was, at least for a part of my childhood, I was living in South Africa, which has a lot of crime and a lot of crime against women in particular. Nothing happened to me, but that fear that something might happen was really strong in me. I was, as I mentioned, a pretty anxious kid, and that just was a, something else that I could be anxious about. I think the other thing, looking back, that really impacted me was my father. He was someone who had a lot of health issues all throughout my childhood, and he was in and out of hospitals with different ailments. He had a kidney transplant at around the age of 25. And there was just this constant threat hanging over me that he would die at any point. And this was hard. It impacted the way I showed up, I think, in my day-to-day -day life because I always felt like I had to keep quiet or not rock the boat or not, not be too much because that would cause my dad to get stressed and then he would die. And I didn't want to be responsible for his death. I guess you could say I carried a lot of anticipatory guilt throughout my childhood. And this was reinforced because I was kind of a rowdy kid. I was a tomboy. I was obnoxious. I was stubborn. 
and I was unruly. So my parents did struggle, I think, to understand where I was coming from and know how to parent me effectively. And I really had a sense that there was something wrong with me or something bad about me. I was very confused from a young age about who I was, you know, what I was gender-wise and other ways too. The fact that my family moved around a lot, not just in the same country, but between countries. They were both South African, Afrikaner, South Africans by birth. I was born there too. Then we moved to Canada and then back to South Africa and then back to Canada and then back to South Africa. So moving between those two countries, I was confused about my cultural identity. I felt more Canadian than South African, but in my family, there was an expectation that I would see myself as South African first and have pride in that heritage. And it was just hard for me to know where I belonged. Who did you look up to growing up? Yeah, I don't... It's hard for me to answer that question. I looked up to my dad a lot. But it wasn't the kind of looking up to someone that was uncomplicated. It was complicated. I also was afraid of my dad. It's not that he ever... Well, I mean, so there was physical discipline in the home. But I would say that that was pretty typical of the era and of the culture. I was very anxious, like I said, just temperamentally. And though he didn't get mad a lot, when he did get mad, you know, it was scary. He had a temper. And his temper often, it seemed to be triggered by me. And I didn't really understand what I was doing to trigger that. So I both looked up to him and was afraid of him. And then on top of that, I also pitied him because with all his health issues, he was very reliant on my mother to take care of him in ways, uh, you know, the day-to-day mobility-wise. He, you know, he wasn't very balanced. He had vertigo. Later in his life, he was in a wheelchair. And so he just had a lot of needs. And my mother, I think, got pulled into being a caretaker against her will, maybe. Obviously, she chose to marry him and be with him, despite his health issues, which had started before he got married to her. But she, I think she built up some resentment towards him over the years. And that manifested through irritation with him, frustration with him, and that turned into verbal aggression, verbal abuse. She would humiliate him in front of me, and I didn't know how to deal with that. So I would, you know, want to defend him or speak up, and that was criticized. That was criticized not just by her, but by him. Because in the culture that I was growing up in, kids don't talk back to their parents. That's just not how it works. So, you know, when I was trying to defend him against her, I would get it from her and him. And that was just very confusing. My relationship with my mother meant that I didn't look up to her at all. I would say the opposite. I 
didn't want to be anything like her. I hated cooking. I hated being in the kitchen. I didn't like feminine things. I never had. I hated wearing dresses. I wanted to be outside running around without my shirt on, climbing trees, walking around barefoot, playing in the snow when we were in Canada, playing in the dirt when we were in South Africa. So I just wanted to be independent from her. But she was also pretty intrusive. I don't think she really understood personal boundaries very well. And so what that meant was that I I internalized a lot of my emotions because it wasn't safe for me to express myself. I learned that it was safer to just keep to myself and escape into my inner world, my imagination. So who did I look up to? I looked up to writers like C.S. Lewis and the Narnia series. I loved those books. I would read them annually growing up. I would forge through my dad's library and read the classics like Shakespeare or Charles Dickens' Great Expectations or Dostoevsky's books. Uh, I had a real affinity for King Arthur and his knights. I identified with the male characters. They seemed to have a whole lot more fun than the female characters. So Sir Lancelot or Sir Percival or Sir Galahad or Sir Tristram, those were the characters that I wanted to be. I didn't want to be the Queen Guinevere or the Lady in Distress. That didn't appeal to me at all. I think in some ways I didn't have a really high opinion of of women growing up. I didn't see any women that I wanted to be like. And I also was realizing that I had sexual feelings, not just for men, but also for women. And that was confusing as well, because it meant that I wasn't straight. I knew that. But I also meant that I wasn't a lesbian. If I had just been attracted to women, it would, <laughs> it would have been easier. But because I was clearly also attracted to men, it just was very confusing to me to know, again, where do I belong? Who am I? Where do I fit? What has been the top three most defining moments of your life? That's really a hard question. I feel like there's been more than three critically defining moments in my life. The first one that comes to mind is getting married in 2019 to my wife. We'd known each other for about six or seven years before getting married. And I have to say that it's been the greatest joy of my life to share my life with her. She's really helped me to accept myself and love myself in ways that I didn't know were possible. It's been a real gift. Other than that, yeah, it's really hard to pick three moments. The one that stands out probably the most is my dad's passing, my dad dying in 2005. That was pretty earth-shattering, not just for me, but for my entire family, I would say. It was not a pretty death, even though he had had health issues all throughout his life and death was always around the corner. When it came, it followed three years really of him struggling with symptoms that no doctor knew how to diagnose. And I think about three weeks before he died, we got the diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer. And 
you know, I was in, living in Canada at the time and he was living with his wife, my mother, in South Africa. And basically every time I would talk to him on the phone, I would hear his breath becoming shallower and shallower as his lungs filled up more and more with, with fluid. And so it wasn't, it was a hard death to watch, even though I wasn't there to physically watch it. That's a whole other story. Yeah, and I think just that it was a complex death. The grief associated with his death was complex. We were not on the best of terms when he died. A year before he died, he found out that I was transitioning from female to male. And he didn't find out from me either. It was a really hard thing for him to accept. He never really did accept it even when he died. And it made things very complicated. It meant, for example, that I couldn't attend his funeral, or I felt I couldn't attend his funeral because his friends didn't know that I had transitioned. Many of his friends didn't know. Family members in South Africa weren't aware. And my mother was really not responding well at, to it. And basically told me that she would disown me. And so it just felt like not my place to be there. It would just cause more drama than it would honor his life. So I made the difficult decision not to travel back to South Africa to be there. And even today, I feel like it was the right decision for the sake of everyone involved. I think it also has led to me feeling like I never really got to say goodbye properly. So that grief, even though it's been, you know, almost 20 years, is still there. I still carry that with me. And now I forgot what the question was. Oh, the top three defining moments. So that was definitely defining. The other sort of an outflow of that conversation or that period is that the year before that, I made the pretty life-changing decision to undergo a gender transition. So in 2004, early 2004, I started to take hormones. I was assessed by a psychologist and diagnosed with gender identity disorder, which is what it was called at the time. Nowadays, it's called gender dysphoria. And I was referred to an endocrinologist who started me on testosterone injections, and I've been on those injections ever since. I have a lot of mixed feelings about that decision. At the time, it came with a lot of relief. I felt like it really was a decision between life and death. I didn't really have much hope of living. When I made that decision, it felt like a decision between killing myself or doing this crazy thing which came with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of risk, but was really the last kick at the can for me, my last shot at life. And so I decided to take it. And I do credit that transition with saving my life. But I do think about my own identity in a lot different terms now than I did back then. For example, I don't really think of myself as male anymore. I think there's a lot of things that were playing into why 
transitioning seemed like a good decision, and maybe I'll go into that in a later podcast. What did you learn from this? I think I learned that life is fragile, that relationships are fragile, life is unpredictable, and also that nothing is certain in this world, and that identities can change, people can change, minds can change. I think it taught me humility. Do you have any regrets related to this? Yes, I think I do. I think I did the best I could. I was a pretty lonely child and teenager and young adult. I had a lot of walls up. I didn't really know how to ask for help. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the language. I really tried to solve problems that I had no business solving on my own. I also feel like I should have, could have, wished I had spent more time with my dad one-on-one. I wish I'd been more open with, with him about what I was thinking about doing and what I was doing. I regret that I caused him so much stress and pain. I regret that I caused my family so much stress and pain. I mean, after his passing, really my family disintegrated in the sense that I'm not really part of my family anymore. Maybe that'll change. I know I just did my best. I just wish it hadn't been so hard for them, or for me, really. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I feel like this story that I'm telling, it sounds pretty dire and dark. And the thing is, yeah, it was a hard life. I've had a hard life. I also think that because of that, I learned a lot about myself, and I also learned about what is necessary to have good mental health. I'm in a lot better place now than I've ever been in my life. I've got good relationships in my life. I've got a chosen family. I've found a career as a social worker and a mental health clinician. I find that even though it was hard to get to where I'm at, I probably wouldn't value what I have now if I hadn't gone through those dark valleys. So how do I want to be remembered? I guess I want to be remembered as somebody that tried to do their best to be a good person, that didn't always get it right, but always got back up and tried again. I hope I'll be remembered as someone who tried to have a meaningful and positive impact on other people. I hope I'll be remembered as a good husband and partner and dog parent and friend. What are you most proud of? One thing I'm proud of, I don't know if I'm most proud of it, but I am really proud that I made the decision in my 30s to go back to university and get my master's degree. I have my master's degree in clinical social work, and that was a big decision for me. And even though I was out of school for a long, long time, I knew that I could do it. And I'm proud that I took that chance and applied and when I got accepted, made the decision to move my life from Vancouver, BC to Calgary, Alberta, which was a big decision too, because it meant at least initially that I had to leave behind my partner. Eventually she joined me. She made the decision to move to be with me, which was incredibly powerful for me. I 
I didn't expect it. And, you know, it really reinforced to me that this was somebody that actually cared about me and that meant the world. So I'm proud that I made that decision to reinvent myself. And it wasn't easy, but because it wasn't easy, it makes me grateful for where I am now. That and I'm proud of the family I've built with my my partner, my wife, and my two dogs, Lola and Lucy. I'm proud of the stability of my life right now. I also know that that can be disrupted and that, again, life is fragile. But for right now, I'm just really grateful and I'm trying to value it as much as I can and just enjoy it for what it is. What are you most grateful for? Like I said, I'm, I'm grateful for my family, for my stability, for my health, my mental health. I'm grateful to be alive. That wasn't a given. And I'm grateful for all the people I've got to meet and got to know throughout my life. And I'm looking forward to doing more of that, going on, you know, adventures with my partner. We still haven't had our honeymoon. The pandemic hit before we could. So yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm grateful to get to enjoy this life. Softly Spoken is a Tilted Windmills production. It was hosted and produced by Stefan de Villiers. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and you'd like to help support us, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave us a rating or review. Thanks again, and see you next time.